Welcome to another episode of Capital Roots, brought to you by Capital Farm Credit, where we bring you the experts in the ag industry. We, we met our, our obligation, our educational obligation of 20 plus million, e- even in the middle of a shutdown without a, without a public presentation. In addition to a few Texas legends along the way, we're your hosts, Joe Patronella and Clint Cryer. Thank you for listening. Now let's get back to our roots. Thank y'all for joining us back on another episode of Capital Roots. I'm Joe Patronella. And I'm Clint Cryer. Today, we've got a really exciting guest, uh, Chris Bowman. He is the CEO and president of the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. And uh, as a Brazos Valley kid growing up, this was like the stock show of stock shows, and I think it is still today. Um, and so we're just going to dive right in and talk all things Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo with Chris. Uh, before we do so, though, Chris, I kind of want to just give our listeners a little background about you and maybe, you know, your background in ag and then how you kind of got to where uh, you are running the show today. So would, would you indulge us with that, if you don't mind? Yeah, no, no problem. And, and you just you cut me off if I get talking too much. But first of all, it's great to be with you guys. As you know, we're our family are big fans of, of uh, your organization. So it's certainly great to be on with you today. Uh, yeah, I grew up in the Brazos Valley area myself. I grew up uh, coming to this show every year. First, I was telling my our chairman of the board yesterday, first year I showed here was 1983. And I don't know that I've ever missed a show at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. I think wow. I was here in some form or fashion since uh, since uh, I was even before I could even show because my older brother showed here. And so, uh, yeah, my background, I, I'm an Aggie. Uh, I think I think most folks know my, my dad, Larry Bowman, was a professor at A&M, extension beef specialist and administrator for 54 years. And uh, and so I kind of followed in his footsteps. He's my hero. Most people know that. Uh, and so my grandfather on my mom's side, T.D. Tanksley, was a swine professor and, and specialist there in, huh. at, uh, in animal science, too. So uh, we go way back as Aggies. And so that's uh, that's where I, I started growing up, uh, Sean, being in 4-H there in Brazos County, and then uh, went to Texas A&M, uh, got a degree in animal science, became a county extension agent, 4-H agent in Belton, Texas. Uh, eventually would came come back to grad school uh, and got both my master's and PhD at AM. Uh, PhD was in ag, ag education, ag leadership education communications, and went back to extension, worked for the 4-H program, and then worked in the ag ed department. Eventually uh, spent about 10 years as the director of the Texas 4-H program, which was awesome. Uh, and that obviously keeps me all through there, kept me involved with the Houston Livestock Show on Rodeo. Sure. About uh, 10 years into being director of the 4-H program, I got a call from the former CEO of the rodeo asking me if I would want to come to work at the rodeo. And, and um, you know, my background, more specifically, my wife's background at the rodeo, she grew up showing here, too. She's been a volunteer longer than we've been married. So I was the superintendent of a bunch of judging contests here. And uh, this is kind of uh, there's A&M and then there's the rodeo for us. And this is uh, this is our family as well. And so. It worked out. I came in and uh, was the director of ag competitions and exhibits. We, as an organization, a couple of years into me being here, we went through a reorganization uh, and I took the lead in, in walking us through that. Uh, then this thing called COVID hit, uh, shut down our show. As most people remember, we're kind of the first big event that shut down. We can talk about that later, too. Uh, and then from there, our CEO uh, left the organization and uh, the executive committee asked me to, to move into the role during uh, during COVID. And 
ideal uh, so timing. Yeah. yeah I, I tell people I don't recommend taking over a, an event that relies on people to come together uh, during a pandemic where you're <laughs> six feet apart, at least. Uh, that that wasn't uh, that wasn't a lot of fun. But I, I will tell you and again, we can talk more about it. I It, it definitely, uh, I think, uh, provided a great example of how important this organization is to this community. So that's how I got here. I never thought I would be here, uh, uh, but but I'm honored to, to serve in this role for sure. Yeah, um, I know Clint wants to dive into the COVID, but two things. You mentioned growing up and showing here. I was talking to my folks last night, telling them that we were going to be doing this. And she, my mom said, I watched that boy show from a little kid. So it shows just how <laughs> close to the community we grew up in, doesn't it? Yep, yep. A yeah. few Patronellas running around there, right? Yeah, uh, if you'll claim us, sure. Yeah. So um, so let's talk about Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. I think, you know, obviously Joe and I are, are very familiar with, with Houston uh, as we both showed animals there growing up, you know, kind of like you said, I, I don't think I've ever missed a Houston Livestock Show from the time I started uh, out with my pigs to ended with lambs uh, over the course of my show career. But about Houston, let's talk about why it exists. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. So, you know, last year we celebrated our 90th anniversary. We welcomed everybody back after wow. taking a year off from a public appearance. Uh, so this is our, our 91st anniversary. And uh, the, the the crux of the show dates back to five five gentlemen meeting downtown and, and really coming to the conclusion that uh, most big agricultural communities uh, had a show, and Houston, even though at that time it was big cow country, particularly Brahmin-influenced cattle, as you all know, uh, really didn't. Uh, it didn't have a show, and so they were looking at what was going on in Chicago and Denver and even Fort Worth and decided that we we needed a show here, and so that's that's what started in 1932. It was a fat stock show, stock show only, uh, and then over time, uh, through some good and bad times, uh, it's grown into the community event that it is now. And so what, what I what I tell people is the core mission is promoting agriculture. That that's that we're a nonprofit. That's what we are. So obviously we work hard to make sure that uh, we're telling the story that we are telling as a nonprofit. And and uh, what we you know our, our core value, our core mission, I should say, is really the the uh, importance of agriculture. Which quite candidly was one of the reasons I I decided to come here. Is that you know it's the fourth largest city in the nation. It's now regarded as the single most diverse uh, urban city in the nation. And one of the things that really attracted me to come into the rodeo is to tell that agriculture story. And just from my background, you heard earlier, you know how important that is. And particularly in a time where, you know, less and less people really understand, you know, about the food and fiber industry. And I mean, you guys talk about this all the time, uh, that it gives us a platform for a month or three weeks to really celebrate that and promote that. And so that, that's that's that, that's the first sentence of our statement. Of course, uh, in addition to that, uh, we're about educating uh, Texas youth and providing youth with educational opportunities. And uh, the scholarship program grew out of, of that, uh, out of the original mission. And so a lot of people connect us with uh, the fact that we offer, uh, you know, roughly 20 to 24 million a year in giving back either in scholarships and grants and graduate assistantships. So that number is now over 575 million. Uh, but but it's all starts with that base of, of telling our agriculture story. And 
And so, you know, from there, it's an extremely important event to the community. It's a time to celebrate Western heritage. Uh, and so somebody said the other day, you know, it's the Yellowstone effect. And my comment to that is, man, we've been doing Yellowstone for 91 years here. So uh, uh, we, we, we see that. And then it, what separates the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo from anything else uh, is, is uh, when you, every, in, in how we implement the mission is through 35,000 volunteers. Uh, they, they are on 109 committees here uh, and they do all, all they can to make sure this place works from raising money through our auction program to, you know, they, they get books to give them to different community groups. So uh, people, uh, so kids have books to read. They uh, give their, their most treasured uh, thing they have, which is their time. They'll be out here Breeders Greeters Committee all night long helping kids get moved in. We have transportation committee. So there, there's corporate development. I mean, there's something for everybody here. And what I typically say is we've kind of created a small community and a really big community. Yeah. Uh, and because everybody can get behind some some piece of that mission. So Yeah. Yep. So when you consider the mission of promoting agriculture, and you made a, a reference to Houston being the most diverse city in the United States, I believe. Let's talk a little bit about that and, you know, how you promote agriculture there in, in, a, in a large, diverse city. Yeah, uh, my our, our CMO tells me all the time that, that it's it's a little bit like serving broccoli ice cream, you know, and that you, you want to you want to bring people here because they, they are interested in something. And then we hope when they come here that that they get a taste of everything, if that makes if that makes sense. And so, in other words, yeah, it could be that they want that people want to come here because they want to eat something fried that's unique that they can't get anywhere else. Like this year, we have I'm just reading this the hot Nashville Cheeto chicken sandwich on a stick. I have no idea if that's uh, you know I don't know how many calories that is, but it sounds very tasty. And so you know, some people like to come here and shop. Some people like to come in here, uh, come here and and eat. Some people like to go to the carnival. Some people want to see one of the 20 entertainers. And so we, we know, here's what our research shows at, at the rodeo, and we do extensive amount of customer profiles, is that if we get them here once, they're coming back. And so usually, and, and what drives someone's first uh, time here is typically an entertainer, just to be honest, that's usually an entertainer in the rodeo. But, but what we do is we, we push them to come out early. We, we have Ag Venture, which is in, in the center, obviously, and it tells a, a tremendous Ag story all the way through, presented by Oxy. We have uh, Texas Farm Bureau helps with that as well. We've got uh, Fun on the Farm outside, which allows kids to kind of go through and see all kinds of different commodities and and earn uh, you know some fake money, and they see how that supply and demand works. Of course, we have the livestock show and horse show that's happening all the time, uh, and so that that in some way, in some form or fashion, we're, we're trying to. Uh, engage our audience in that ag story. And then of course you go over to the rodeo uh, and you see, you know, Western heritage and Western culture at its best. And so uh, in, in terms of, of that, again, if we can, what I tell people, if you get here once, then, then you come back. But if you're coming for the first time, come early because it's really hard to explain. We were, I was asked the other day, there's so many people that have moved here from out of town, even over the last year since COVID, how would you describe it? And you can't. Uh, it's very difficult to describe it if you haven't been here. And so my my answer to that is come early so you can figure out how you would describe it yourself because there's just so many different things to do. But I think you also hit the nail on the head by just stating simply just getting them there because I think there's a lot of individuals, especially in Houston or friends that are coming to see friends from Houston that may be in Dallas that are 
totally urban and they don't have any other experience or exposure to ag and once they get there yeah they came to see tim mcgraw but then they got there early and they saw the rodeo and then the next year they come back and they were like well i liked the rodeo maybe i'm going to come earlier and i want to see some of the extra mutton busting and then that leads them into the show pens and then they see you know showing animals isn't what i thought this is actually neat they care for their animal they they actually are stewards of agriculture and animal husbandry and so it's just a way to open the curtain of agriculture for individuals that would never see that priorly. And I think y'all do a wonderful job of holding it to a very high standard. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. No, and that's, I mean, you just, that's right. And so uh, we have to continue to do that. One of the things we've talked a lot about here at the rodeo is, is how do we make it a year long activation? You know, we, we have one committee that actually works in the schools. Uh, they do a lot of work with the schools, our ag ed committee. Uh, they partner and go in and, and, and talk to the kids about agriculture. Maybe that's coupled with maybe a, a school garden that could be there. So, so we, we do have a year long presence where we, we try to continue the message, but obviously it all leads up to three pretty impactful weeks. Sure. So you, you kind of incited a memory for me. I think back to my time at the Houston Livestock Show, and, and I know that if I was ever not able to be found, you could find me at the Ben and Jerry's booth. It was the first <laughs> place that I had Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And, you know, I don't know that they, I don't remember there ever being broccoli ice cream there, but I might try. <laughs> my personal favorite was, I don't know if they still have it. There was a pizza on a stick, and it didn't taste yep. any any differently than a regular pizza. But the fact that it was on a stick, I was going to get 10 of those things. I mean, it was delicious. Yep, nope, nope. There's, there's plenty of pizza on a stick. Uh, that, that's, that still happens. There's there's pickle pizza, which is very popular. That's That's been a new item. And so, yeah, there's... Look, man, there's all, that's what that's what the rodeo is about. Coming out and trying something something different, something unique. Yeah, so. yeah, you had to have the cinnamon rolls too. Yeah, surely you had those. Yeah. Can we circle back to your volunteers for a minute? Sure. You mentioned how important they are, and I know that in previous talks I've had with you, you've talked about how they're really the lifeblood of the organization. Um, a hundred and nine committees. That's mm-hmm. that's staggering. So I guess maybe whatever you feel like talking about. But how does that all work? How do they flow together? How do you, how do you find them? Are they all, how do y'all stagger them? It just, I have so many questions. Yeah, yeah no, those are all great questions. And, and you're right. It's, it's the lifeblood of this place. There's no question about it. Uh, and so we have a, we have a staff of about 135 to 140 uh, full-time staff that work here year round. And, and so they're, they're one piece to work with the, the volunteers. And then of course the, the committees have a hierarchy and a structure within themselves and so uh, the, we, we don't have too much of an issue of recruiting uh, folks to join the rodeo to be a volunteer. You have to be a member of the show. Uh, and so once you're a member, you can then join a committee. And so uh, some committees, to be honest, are, are much more challenging to get on than others. Uh, some are smaller. I mean, some committees may only have 30 people and some committees may have 3,000. And so uh, all of them serve a specific role and function to support the show. It could be transportation. It could be corral club. Um, it, it could be the wine garden. You know, it could be wine competition. And that's the other thing. We actually have committees that don't work during showtime. They work other times of the year. Wine competition is a perfect example. We run that in November. So we use those wine winners to be in the garden and in the auction and so forth. And so what, what I tell people is find something that's of interest to you. Uh, and then from there, uh, join that committee. So on our website, there's a there's a short blurb about every single committee. And then once you're a member, you can get on a list uh, and, and join and join the organization. And so 
in terms of who does what and how you you prevent, you know, wh wh where's what's the difference in each committee, I guess, is wh what you're trying to ask. And how do you make sure they don't overlap? They do to some extent. Some of them work very closely together. Uh, but we want to, we also want to be careful that everybody sticks to what their mission is uh, and, and what their objective is for the show. I mentioned the surveys and the data we collect. That's actually done through a committee. That's what they do. Communication special services. They go around wow. here with iPads and, and they interview folks and, and they collect data for us. That's how we know so much about first timers. Uh, so all of them have a purpose. The rodeo made a decision years ago, and I, I don't know who it was. I don't know when it was, but there was a decision made years ago that leadership positions uh, happen in three years. And so uh, you get three years to be chairman of a committee. And then after that, then another one comes in. So it does it does a number of things. One is it keeps ideas fresh. This I think this place is on the cutting edge because we have people that are coming every year, a third rollover, and they've got fresh ideas, new thoughts, or, or, or what have you. So uh, that was really great. And then the other thing that we have to kind of manage all this, because it is a lot to manage, as you've mentioned, is the fact that we have an executive committee that's uh, 15 folks that you know really look as the governing body of the organization. Of course, that's who I report to and work closely with. But uh, underneath there, we have uh, 18 vice presidents. And so those guys rotate every three years too. So six will rotate and then six and then another six. So every, so every year, three, uh, one group rotates out. But those are the guys that, in my opinion, that kind of hold the staff and the uh, committee glue together. And so what their jobs are is to kind of facilitate, each one of them may have six, seven, eight committees that they oversee each one of these officers. And then they work closely with the staff to make sure that you know we're doing things, that they're working in cohesion. For example, I'll give you a perfect example. When when uh, Mr. Strait plays at our show, uh, that's a that's a concert only performance, which means that we have to pull the dirt out overnight. Uh, it also means that uh, when when barbecues over on Sunday, we start right into Monday, and so that takes a lot of organization between the appropriate committees, like the barbecue committee, uh, and and the staff. And so you know where we we have a business here of trying to make it all work, we also have to work with the volunteers between the officer uh, coordinating with the staff to make sure all that works. So that's an example uh, of, of how it, it, it's, it's kind of this perfect model that's just kind of grown. Doesn't, it's, I shouldn't say it's perfect because nothing's perfect, but it it's a very well-oiled machine. Uh, and, then, and then every year we sit down post-show and figure out uh, how to even get better. But there, there's no doubt there's years or there's times where one committee's doing something and you know the left hand didn't talk to the right hand. And so we have to work through that. And sure. uh, it's normally, I'll tell you this, it's normally the in the first four or five days. Uh, and then once you kind of go through one cycle of four days, then it becomes, okay, yeah, I, yep, I remember how we do this. Or yeah, we, we knocked this, this little obstacle out of the way and it just kind of flows, so. Makes sense. So of your 35,000 volunteers, do they all come basically from the greater Houston area or the from I mean, certainly a large majority of them come from Harris County and the surrounding counties. Pro I mean, a ton from the even the surrounding counties. But I mean, I mean, you guys know we have volunteers in Brazos County. Uh, we, we have our Area Go Texan program, which involves 70 plus counties. I think every state in the United States that uh, there's at least a volunteer from each each and every single state. Uh, so some people, you know, they take their vacation, they come down here and this is what they're going to do and, and where they work. So th there's yeah, obviously it's definitely heavily populated towards the, the Houston and surrounding areas. But I mean, honestly, they're from all over. Right. Interesting. 
the guy that I work for, he really likes case studies in business. I was just thinking as you were kind of explaining your volunteerism program, that'd be a good case study, you know, how to assemble. Yeah, we, we, we've done some research and some case studies on it. And, and certainly we've, we've worked with third parties to, to figure out, you know, the, our biggest challenge is we got 20, we have 20 days to do it. You know, that, that's the hard part. You, you don't get a do over. You don't, it's not, the example I give is if, if something doesn't go well, at, since, you know, you guys are in Brazos Valley, if something doesn't go well at Kyle Field on a Saturday, you get a whole week to kind of clean that up and make it right for the next game or maybe two weeks. Here, we're turning around and going the next night. And so, mm-hmm. and so you, you do have to really be on your game because it's going to be over March 19th. You're not doing it again until next year. So, so when we talk about case study, it's one of the things we study efficiencies and and uh, improvements to make, but, but also know that the hard part is it's very hard to pilot something here uh, because you, you don't get September and try to get in October. You got March. And so uh, wh- one of the unique things about the stock show world is how much we do rely on other shows. We talked a, a lot. Fort Worth just finished. San Antonio's fixing to go. Uh, you know, we, we compare notes all the time. We were just on a call last Friday to, to talk through things. So that's that's one of the uniqueness of our industry. And if y'all tell me if I'm talking too much. No, so you're, you're not talking too okay. much. Just making sure. I do have a question, though. You mentioned you had to take the dirt out of the arena for Mr. Straight to perform. I'm curious, do we have any idea how much dirt goes in that arena? Yeah, I do. And you shouldn't have asked me. I probably could have told you. It's you uh, it's a couple of hundred truckloads. I'll have to get the exact number, That's but it. it's a bunch. Didn't mean to put it's you on lot. the spot there, yeah. but it was just one of my curiosities. <laughs> I normally know that. Dang it. I can't believe it. I'll, I'll have to look that up and send it to you guys. It, it's a bunch and we're yeah. fixing to start. So. so you mentioned the entertainers and I'm sure everybody always asks you this, but what are, I guess, either personal or fan based, what are some of the favorites or bigger draws that y'all typically get? And you don't have to answer that if that's going to not be a delegable question to ask. No, I mean, it's on the website. I mean, we, we yeah. show the attendance. It's, it's uh, no harm, no foul. Um, uh, it, it's a little, you know, the, the thing that we try to do, and it goes back to the diversity question earlier, is you do, you're not going to do 20 country acts. People aren't going to come out 20 nights in a row. And so you definitely want to a blend of both, uh, a, a blend of a, a little bit of everything. Uh, but but at the same time, what, what I've learned uh, since doing this and being a part of this is that even, even within country music, country music today is just so diverse itself. Yep. I mean, Cody Johnson is, is extremely different than a Walter Hayes, uh, you know, and so uh, it, and so when we go into it, we, we know some some key names and some folks that we would like to see. We know some folks that that are big hits for us every year, and and so it's a balance of you know up and coming artists, and it's a balance of uh, who who we know uh, is interested in working with us, and then it kind of like what I said earlier. And then you got to hope the date works out. I mean, there's some every year that you just, they're on a different tour. And in and, and today's world, it's really interesting and in, in that, particularly coming out of COVID, that uh, so many people are on tour right now. So many, everybody's on tour. Yeah. Uh, and so normally, you know, there's some that are on and some that are off. And so you, you can kind of work those schedules. So it, every year it, I'm learning that you got to find the sweet spot and, it, it's it's fun. It's I will tell you, it's the most stressful part of the job is is I working bet. with. We have a team. We have folks that help us in on the West Coast, and then also in, in Nashville. We don't just sit in a room and figure it out on our own. We we use a lot of expertise, like any company would do. 
to to try to find the right the right fit each year. And so, and of course, of course, all of us have our own personal favorites. I mean, you you know, you, you can't you can't book twenty people that I like because that's probably not going to do all that great. But but so you you try to split it up, and we'll see that again. I mentioned the first the first timers when you see a crossover act or uh you know this year for example one that's got a lot of buzz is lauren daigle uh she she's been very popular and a lot of first we've we've already i've already heard a lot of people are coming out this will be their first trip and then you know on the other end of the of the uh curve is you know last year we had journey journey been around for 40 years or however long they've been around and, and you know they sold out and that, that's not a country act but one that a lot of people wanted to see so you just kind of have to you, you just you got to think it through and and you want to have a diverse lineup so that as i say not every not every singer and every entertainer is for everybody but every entertainer is for somebody and that's how you get uh, and, and, we, and, and we know even our season ticket holders that they're not they're not going to come all 20 nights uh and so so you you just got to try to blend it so. and that's how you get people out there i think that's a great strategy yep and yeah. Joe, just FYI, you can Google Journey if you are interested and find out who they are. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I wasn't even born so far before me. <laughs> so, hey, Chris, uh, just a couple of little other things, but I would love and Clint to to know just some of your favorite stories and experiences since either when you were back director of uh, ad competitions or since you've taken over, just to hear a little personal color from stuff that you've done. Well, I, I will say that I, I can tell you a, a couple of stories. I'll give you a couple of kind of CEO stories, and then and I'll tell you a couple of kid stories if that's okay. Um, I, I will tell you that opening night last year, after you know we we were shut down uh, because of the pandemic, and then we didn't have a public presentation, uh, and and we we were still actually the highlight that's not one specific moment. I will tell you the highlight of this job since I've been here is the fact that. Even during the pandemic, we we met our our obligation, our educational obligation of twenty plus million, e even in the middle of a shutdown without a without a public presentation. And that, you know, that that was certainly because people that thought long and hard and smarter than me before me made the decision that we needed to be in a place in case something happened that we could still do that. So, you know, the highlight of of my being here is definitely the day that we announced we were going to make that educational commitment. I, I'll tell you that. So sure. uh, I wanted, that, that's by far. But but in terms of just events that are here, I, I mean, when we had opening night last year, I told Cody Johnson when we were back, you know, in the green room, I said, I, I've never wanted to hug somebody so badly in my life because it meant that we were back. You know, it meant that we were going and Cody had sold out that night. Uh, and it, it did. It meant that we're back because even last year at this time, there was Delta variant, Omicron, you know, it was all this stuff. People were even questioning if we were going to go. And so that 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 was that was a big moment. I mean, it just meant that we were back. And so that, that one uh, rings true to me. The ag exhibits uh, position and even even as CEO. When the steers come in on Friday night, we pick the champion steer in the stadium. Uh, that's a big deal for me. Uh, my brothers and I took, you know, 12 or so steers down on that dirt in the old Astrodome and, and we never won the whole thing, but we won, we won our breeds and that's always a family moment. I always think of my, my parents and my brothers, uh, as those steers are coming in, that's just, that's a Friday night lights moment for me since, you know, high school, I was five, five, 120 pounds. I didn't play football, but I mean, Friday night lights for me is, 
is the Houston Livestock Show on Rodeo. Uh, and then the, the one thing I do every, every year, and I've told this story several times, but my my grandfather on my mom's side was a, a big inspiration for me. Uh, and he was superintendent of the Barra Show uh, here in Houston for, gosh, I don't know, 25, 30 years. And so back when we used to show pigs in Brenham before they came to Houston, uh, for those that remember that. I loved uh, that. Yep. Yeah. And so I, I go down every year to the arena on the first day of the pig show, the day before they come in, and I just kind of have a moment with him. So uh, that that's every year for me. Um, and, and then... Uh, and then there's just so many. I mean, my wife and I kind of started talking in Dayton, you know, when she was an intern here. I could go on and on, but but it's it's a special place. There's a lot of special memories. I, I'll, I'll also say that the first year that Randy and I purchased in the auction, uh, we bought a lamb and we bought a steer to give back because those are the two options we were a part of. Those are that's now obviously an annual event for us, and, and that means a lot too. So, wow, that's really cool. Joe, you got any good stories from the livestock show? Uh, I, so I was really a local kid showing, I, I really showed at Brazos and then I, I would do horse stuff at the state show in uh, Abilene. I love Amarillo so much that I always say Abilene, yeah. but, um, I did go to the Brenham pig sift one time. That was the only time I really did Houston. And I took a Chester. I'd never shown a Chester in my life. And you know, you, you had to take him up that hill to get to the pen and um, as uh, on air politically correct as I can say, that pig got sick. That mm -hmm. pig got real sick on me, and uh, yeah. we didn't we didn't make it all the way up that hill. Mm -hmm. So gotcha. Brennan pig sift was not a success for me, but it was a it was a learning lesson, and that's what we're all after in in showing animals, isn't it? Oh, no question. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting here today because of the lessons that I learned through those projects. Matter of fact, my dissertation was was on what do kids really gain from these projects? What makes it unique from other things? And it's all about responsibility, decision making, self-esteem. I mean, you, you, you know what it, if, if you're a product of this, you already know what it is. But it's nice to have the science that proves that out uh, because th there is a level of responsibility when you are raising something specifically for consumption that that you know the, there's going to be an end uh that that i just feel like separates it from in my opinion any other extracurricular type of activity so so to that end I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about that you know one of the things that we're passionate about at capital farm credit is we're 110 percent agriculture is that next generation and as we as we think about some of the things that houston livestock show does but also other livestock shows and the, those projects that you mentioned I'd like some of your perspective on how that contributes to uh, agriculture in the future and feeding our families and the population of America. Yeah, there's all kinds of, of different levels of participation. As a matter of fact, um, one of the things that, that I learned when, when I was running Texas 4-H and we did some studies is that most kids that show livestock projects, that they, they, they never leave the county level. Uh, I think, I don't know, I think I want to say the number is like, you know, 65 to 70% of, of the kids that validate an animal, they're going to just show it locally. And so uh, I've always been a big fan, of course, you know, in this job at, at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, it's the biggest, but, but it still goes back to a local experience. And even the kids that come here, it's a local experience. Uh, in my opinion, uh, you're only as good as the education that takes place locally. We like to tell the story of the education that's taken place uh, because, you know, for us, this is this is a playoff game, but you've been playing all season before you got here. 
And so one of the things that I always stress, again, even, even being here, is that every child, in my opinion, the children, the, the young people that get the most out of their experiences because they're active locally. Uh, they're active locally in their 4-H and FFA chapter, the 4-H club or the FFA chapter. They have great advisors and mentors and volunteers and, and that, that support them through the process. They don't just get a heifer and then all of a sudden the next stop is Houston. Uh, that's not going to be a positive experience, most likely. Uh, matter of fact, I really doubt it would be. It's, it's the learning journey along the way, year to year. And so what we feel like is that we're contributing to that back home by offering an experience, uh, by offering an experience here, whether that be meat judging or rabbit showing, whatever the case may be. I tell our team all the time that we're opportunity architects. That's what we are at the end of the day. We're providing opportunities for young people to be successful. Uh, but but that, that success is defined back home and them learning and then as you get older, you realize that, that it's not just showing the goat and practicing with the goat and going to the 4-H club meeting associated with the goat. It's when you, then you take a leadership role within that 4-H club or that FFA chapter and you start speaking in front of the group or you're taking minutes as secretary, that all of that contributes. And so a lot of times, uh, my granddad used to always say that the livestock project itself is just a vehicle for life skill development. And, and we are an end product of that at Houston, just like, you know, Austin, San Antonio, Fort Worth, whatever. Uh, but that vehicle journey, this is the, this is the, the end of it. Uh, the, the entire journey is what separates uh, the, the kids from, uh, from other kids, in my opinion. And I have to tell you, I, I just listened to uh, one of our scholars who was from rural Texas and grew up in 4-H and now is a, a big wig marketer for uh, DC Comics. And, and so she's the perfect example as one of our scholars, but really the perfect example of a local 4-H FFA experience that even though, as she said today, she's spent most of her career in Hollywood, she takes what she's learned with her. And so that's what I think it is. It's about them, you know, because not she's not a farmer or a rancher, but she has an appreciation for that. And so, and there are people that she grew up with that are. Uh, and so to me, that that's the story that has to be told. Yep, definitely. So like... Like Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, Capital wants to provide access to those and facilitate those same types of opportunities for everyone. And a program that I might just mention here is we've got is called Ag Start. It actually is a financing program, so if funds might be an issue to accessing any of those types of animal projects, uh, that's something that Capital has that we can provide help to those individuals uh, across the state of Texas. Which is, you know, and I'll, I'll piggyback on that for a second because that's one of the things that we do through our scramble program here is that you know kids we invest in them through the scramble program you can also win certificates to the judging program and we have story after story after story of people first only able to get an animal project because of that investment just like you guys are talking about but that sets them on a career path uh we we hear it over and over so just a small investment, you know, what seems like a small investment to some, it may be huge to others, uh, but it, it's it's investing in them. So they come back here and then and then even though their heifer or steer project is over, that journey is over, there it, it could and and hopefully has an impact on on where they're going down the road. So definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Chris, are you are you uh, talking about this calf scramble committee right here? Yes. <laughs> Actually I didn't get to be down in the ring, but I got to correspond with those kids and 
make yeah. sure they were going back and forth with their project. And I found I found that right. to be probably more rewarding in the end. It was a great experience. Yeah, it, it the, the catch is kind of exciting, but then you catch and then you're like, oh no, this just got real. I yeah. got a lot of work I got to get done. So I got I got to get back with this lawyer and Brian who's asking me for an update on my calf. <laughs> so exactly. Anyway, well, good stuff. Yeah. I think that's Clint. You got anything else? I don't, Chris. We definitely appreciate the time today. Uh, Houston's something that has de definitely developed myself, and I think I speak for Joe as as one of the important you know developments of of our careers and you know our Absolutely. life and passion for for agriculture. So we appreciate you you being on with us today. We you bet. Yeah, and and hopefully you're going to come see us uh, here in March. We're getting ready to kick off, uh, and so we appreciate we appreciate all of you guys do too. I mean, telling the agriculture story isn't isn't lost on one person or isn't up to one person or one company. It, it takes all of us. And I am a firm believer in that, you know, countries that produce their own food supply are the safest in the world, period. And when you're not able to do that is when you have to start depending and looking at others. And, and I, I'm just a big believer in that. And I think that's why our story is so important for all of us to tell in, in whatever platform that we have. So thank you for allowing me the opportunity to, to share it here today. Thank you for making the time. We look forward to it. We'll, see, we'll see you in March. Cool. Thank you. Yes, Thank sir. you, Chris. Thank you for joining us today on Capital Roots. Texas agriculture is the foundation of our story and what makes us family. Capital Farm Credit is a proud member of the farm credit system. We finance farmers, ranchers, agricultural producers, and rural landowners, and we're here to make your vision a reality. We've been serving rural Texas for more than a century. Whether it be traditional, innovative, or lifestyle, we'll help you cultivate new ground. We're all in this together. Because together, we're better.